my philosophies, it, it may sound a bit crude, but my biggest philosophy that I follow is, you know, I run my business to kick butt rather than kiss butt. Want to learn from the top 5% of mortgage brokers in the country? Then you have come to the right place. Join Scott Peckford on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Beckford here. Today on I Love Mortgage Brokering Live, I had Jim Terlucas. Jim is one of the top producing mortgage professionals in Canada, does about 750 to 800 loans a year. In this episode, he talks about his process and how he takes about 10 minutes on average per file and how the whole thing, it's absolutely mind-blowing and there's a lot of great insights in it. Also, Jim shares the do's and don'ts of how to build a successful scaling mortgage practice. I think you're really gonna enjoy this show. This show is sponsored by Pioneer West Acceptance Corp. Pioneer West is a private lender located in British Columbia and Alberta. And so if you are doing anything with private mortgages, please reach out to Style Stewart. Styles is fantastic. And the guys from Pioneer West have supported Isle of Mortgage Brokering for a long time. And so please support them and check out this show with Jim. I think you're really going to love it. Hey guys, welcome to I Love Mortgage Brokering Live. And today on the show, I have Jim Talukas. Jim is uh, probably the number one mortgage broker in Canada. I'm not sure if anybody else is doing more units, certainly not with the small of a team that he has. And so I'm going to talk to Jim today about the do's and don'ts of building a successful mortgage practice. And so if you have questions for Jim while we're having this, please put them in the chat box. And at the end, Justin was going to read them out to us and we'll we'll take some of those questions. And so before we get started, though, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsor, so Pioneer West, they've been uh, with us for a long time. And so they're a private lender based out of BC and Alberta. And they basically, if you're looking for a private deal, talk to Styles Stewart. Those guys are awesome. And we've had uh, a lot of the people from the Idaho Mortgage Broker community have used them and had lots of good things to say. So please check them out. We'd really appreciate it. And I'm excited to have Jim yet to have on the show. Welcome, Jim, to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love your show. I watch every episode I possibly can. Well, I don't know how you have time when you're doing 800 deals a year, but I do appreciate that. So uh, what I would like to do, because I've seen you have been very much more active in, the, in our community in the last while, and you have some like brilliant pieces of advice for people. And so I want to get your backstory, kind of who you are, how did you get into this industry? And then we're going to we talk about some some tips for people so they can build a better business. Sure. I'm 14 years in the business. I got into the business 2004 uh, with the goal of helping financial planners manage their clients' debts and their mortgages. Back then in 2004, very few people were actually doing that. So I started this company just for that, just for that reason. I, can't, I come from the financial planning and, and mutual fund business, so I had some connections in that world, and which, which has helped me, quite frankly, when I, when I first started out. I went from zero to 100 million within a couple of months because of that, that connection. So it, it worked really well. And then I quickly parlayed that success with garnering other corporate contracts. Like we work with the, uh, the biggest relocation company in Canada. So they move corporate executives. They use CIBC for half the business. They use me for the other half. You worked initially, you had uh, contacts in the financial planning industry and also now some relocation stuff. So from our conversations, the big thing I've noticed different about how you build your business, most people go out and they try to build one relationship at a time. You build a relationship with a key person who then can bring in significant amounts of business. Is that correct? That's right. So we, we you know, unlike going B2B, uh, uh, B2C, we go to B2, uh, you know, B2B. So we, we focus our energies on garnering corporate contracts, whether being teachers or nurses in Ontario or alumni or whatever it may be, we'll go out and we'll get the contract and that'll lead to us, you know, get numerous, numerous deals with 
little effort on a going forward basis. So that, that's how we plan it. We don't deal with uh, the consumer directly, if you will. Less than 5% of my business comes from people who we don't know. Uh, most of them come from one of these sources or our past clients. Okay, so you, they, you started out in the financial planning industry and you figured out, okay, hey, I can I can work with this relationship and it went fast for you. So then how did you keep the, because if you didn't, did you have a background in mortgages? So how do you keep the wheels from falling off when you go from like zero to a hundred million it, that quickly? Because yeah. I could see it be so like, I, a, I'd be feel like a rickety cart that would just completely blow apart after like four months. Yeah, well, you learn quick, right? But no, I, I, can't, I used to work at first line mortgages in the finance department. So you learn quick, right? I mean, um, you learn as you go along. The wheels fell off a few times, but hey, that, that's how you grow a business. Right. Okay. And so then if you, um, so then today, then like how many, of, just out of curiosity, like do you have three or four or five of these sort of key relationships or what? what's your, what's that look like? There's eight, there's 12, eight of which are, are giving significant business. Okay. Um, so it's small enough to manage. I, I had a guy I hired whose sole job was to go and land these, these contracts. He's done his job and it worked well. And I'll probably stay at this level. I don't want to get, sounds odd, but I don't want to get too big. What like do you, yeah, because 800 yield units a year is like definitely like that's just small. <laughs> it, it works, right? I mean, the challenge is sometimes is, you know, you, you, you can't turn down some of these leads. I mean, some of these are pretty small mortgages, right? You get an $80,000 mortgage. You can't say no, right? You got to fulfill the obligations mm-hmm. of your contract, but you got to you got to be able to manage it correctly. Right. Okay. So walk me through your process because again, this number of units, you still have to even if. So what what does it look like when these leads come in? How like who contacts them? How do you like? Yeah, I just want to know sure. what that would look like. Let's say I'm coming to you and I got my eighty thousand dollar mortgage, and I came from a relocation company. What do you? How does that look? Well, typically what will happen is you'll either email me. Uh, or we'll get an email from the relocation consultant or your call. Um, so I'll, I'll feed the call or I'll call you back. We'll spend seven to 10 minutes on the phone to allow me to quickly decipher whether or not we're a good fit. Uh, if we're not a good fit, then we're not a good fit. If we are a good fit, then we continue the conversation. Can, can I, I want to ask something about that. Cause to, so on that first call, like, are you gauging whether or not that customer is like somebody that you're going to work with? Cause I found so many people, they think it's just about selling the customer to work with them, but are you also screening to know if this is something worth that you can actually do something with? Yeah, actually that's exactly it. We kind of interview them. It sounds odd, right? But mm-hmm. what happens is we got to be very careful with our time. I, we can't spend time with people who aren't a good fit or aren't going to close or are tire kickers or whatever you want to call it. So we've got to feel a bunch of questions up front, understand what your situation is and make sure that we can provide the best solution. I'll give you an example. I had a client call me yesterday who's buying a home and selling a home. You know, my first question was great. Do you have a mortgage on your home and who is it with? Tell me what you have. What are you into the term? What rate do you have? I want to quickly understand that I'm not going to do all this work for this client only to find out that they're better off staying with rural bank and not paying a $30,000 penalty, right? So I want to put that up front, understand if it makes sense or not. If it doesn't make sense, they're not going to go ahead anyway. So why am I going to waste an hour and a half of my time through this process just to lose them in the 11th hour? Right. So I want to get that up front. I want to make sure it works for them. If it doesn't work for them, we cut it loose and we move on to the next. Right. And you've only invested seven minutes instead of like, you know, hours and, and applications and documents and your team's time and everything else. That's right. I try to get, I keep it under 10 minutes and, and it, 
for the most part, it works. Okay. The so key is you gotta, you gotta control the conversation, right? So I don't care. You got triple pane windows. That's great, but doesn't help the situation, right? I'm going to ask you about that in a second, but so I, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I, I know that we have alignment in how that works, but there's so many people that they think that the job is just to convince the client to work with them. It's like, Oh, please work with me. And it's like, no, no. Is this somebody you can effectively serve? And like Jim said, if not, just say no and move on. And then it gives you more energy to serve the people you can. Okay. If it's not a fit, you just let them go. And then, so what's the next part of the process that you go through? Oh. So if they, if they do fit and it makes sense, then the next step is we send them an email with an application and the list of all the documents that we need to get back. And we leave it there. If we don't get them back, we move on. We're not going to chase that client because most people know if they want to work with you or not. So they get the email, they know what we need and we want it back. And here's the key. And you know, how do you differentiate a tire kicker from a potential client is not only do we ask for them to do all the work and give us all the docs up front, we also ask for their credit card. So if we need to do an appraisal, you're paying for it. I may or may not reimburse you. We'll discuss that, but I need to get that up front as well. If you're not giving me your credit card and your document, then you're really not that interested in proceeding and we move on. It's a hard thing to ask for. It's a hard thing to give. Granted, you know, most of our clients come to us from a trusted source, their financial planner, their association, or their past clients, and they have no problem doing that. If you're not going to give it up, we're not going to move on. And so what is your, uh, from application, so if it's a, what's your, what's the ratio of uh, fundings that you get? Like, just, I'm curious. Yeah. We're about 92%. Right. So from the moment we get this stuff back, we close all the deals. If we don't close them, it's because something's falling through the, the deal, the appraisal, something's falling apart. But I think we've done a bang up job from, you know, let's move, work together to actually close them. We don't send deals to multiple lenders and hope it sticks. It's just not good use time for us or our partners. So it, it, it's, a, it's a fairly good number. Yeah, I know. And that's why you can do so many units is because you're only, you spend seven minutes with a tire kicker and then you only work on stuff that's actually going to fund. And so you're, you're, that's amazing. And so then what happens after, okay, let's say I got my $80,000 mortgage. I fill out the app. I give you my credit card. And incidentally, so that some of the other business I'm involved in, the number one thing that people struggle with is giving you, as soon as they, the credit card is, there's something psychological about it. Like that is a, a huge, like you said, that's a huge step for them. If they give you the credit card info, like the chances of that deal going through are really high because they don't give out their credit cards. So uh, what's the next step? So what do you do when, um, after you get your, my application? Great. So it comes back uh, and it has to come back in the format we want. I've got some clients who send me page by page uh, as a JPEG and it doesn't work. So we send it right back to guys, send it back as a PDF. If it comes back, when it comes back correctly, I then take that email and forward it to either John or Jerry. I got two guys that work for me, forward it on to them. And then they pick it up from there. I may walk over and say, guys, here's what we're doing. Here's, here's the deal. They work the deal. They contact the client and take it from there. I go back to the client at the end through our CRM program, basically. So basically, I talk to the client for seven minutes up front, and that's basically it. And, and you don't talk to them anymore. <laughs> I should, right? That, you know, I've got lots okay. to learn as well. I mean, I mean, I should go back to them, right? But, I mean, I'm, our CRM does a pretty good job in touching them eight to ten times a year. Now, Having said that, I do go back to every client when I find an opportunity for every client. Right. right? So I've got a database of 9,000 past clients, and I do campaigns for each of them. That, that makes sense. So right now I'm doing campaigns for people who have taken a 10-year mortgage. I've got about 200 people who took a 10-year mortgage about four to five years ago at $399. Well, guess what? Those are great campaigns. 
call the run the math, call these guys up, say, look, you know, to break your mortgage, you're paying about 75 bits. You're going to make about save about 400 basis points over the next five years. You're ahead by 300 basis points. Right. Net of the penalty. So, so I do go back to the clients when I work my database, which is, like I said, probably today about 60% of my business comes from this second effort. Okay. And uh, question on that. So of the number of people that come to you from that initial call, what percentage don't actually follow through? So you said some of them, like you have a really high, once they give you the app, it's really high, but like, what would be the number of people that they have a, they have that seven minute call, what what percent don't follow through? It's a big number, right? So here's why I got seven minutes. Uh, I get about 30 calls a day, about 200 emails a day. So it's, it's a lot of, a lot of stuff flowing, flowing through a lot of fluff, a lot of junk. And you got to really be able to filter it through quickly. Now, I mean, 30 calls a day. Someone's calling for a reason. Uh, a lot of people are just tire kicking. But, I, you know, I think there's an opportunity for us to do a better job in converting. You know, I probably convert, like, if we close 750 deals a day, that, that tells me we're, of the 30 calls or so in emails, is three a day. So we're doing about funding three deals a day based on that. Uh, so 10% of the calls are, uh, would be a good number. Right, but you, but you, because you're not chasing down the the people that don't want to work with you, you you have so much more time for the people that do. So I I love that. Well, that's just it, right? You know, if I had more time, I would chase them down, right? So if you're new in the business and you got time on your hands, of course you're going to chase them down. You know, I've built this machine that now the calls are coming and the emails are coming in. I've got to do a good job in in filtering through that very quickly. Right now, I I lose a lot of deals. I'll be honest, right? I mean, we never see clients face to face, and I lose deals because of that. People want to meet sometimes, right? So, you know, I'm not going to spend two hours or whatever it takes to meet someone face to face, and that's going to cost me eight phone calls where I can probably pick up another one or two deals. Right. It's all about yeah the trade offs. Okay, so then tell me about your CRM. So how are you keeping track of nine thousand clients? Being part of Verico, there's a plug right there, fantastic network. They've got a great uh, CRM tool that I use, and that pulls in a lot, a lot, a lot of calls and emails. So that's what I typically, use, for the most part, use. But I've got uh, a dust and spreadsheet that I've created on my own where, you know, this is where I manage my campaign. So I've got a huge spreadsheet with columns across the top, and I'm able to sort data and do queries and whatnot and, uh, and, and, and manage my, my uh, database that way. Right. So that's why you can find the 200 people with the, t- the 10-year mortgages like that. And, and you probably have all their phone numbers. So you can just start like dialing for dollars, basically. Yeah. 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 And, you know, absolutely. And, you know, exactly what we do, right? So we, that's where she's got everything on there. When we did the mortgage, what term they have. You know, I've gone so far as saying the opportunity cost or opportunity value for them would be is, hey, you're a prime minus 0.1, right? I got a client at prime minus 0.1 two and a half years ago. Um, I can get up to prime minus one, save them 90 basis points. So I, my spreadsheet now actually does that calculation for me. So I can quickly find out what the incremental value for that client. So when I'm making that call, I say, hey, you know, would you spend 1500 bucks to save eight grand over the next two years? Yeah. Says, no, no. Right. But get me all your paperwork and don't waste my time. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so you said, uh, one other thing I'm going to ask you about, you said you did eight touches a year. So what are you doing um, to you know, I believe in a client for life strategy. So what are you doing to keep these people from forgetting about you? You know what? It's, it's those two things. It's, it's the eight touches that, you know, that go through the CRM and it's my proactive call to the opportunities in the database. It's, okay. it's very manual. It's not very sophisticated, right? 
It clearly uh, doesn't matter, right? Like the, the reality is, is it doesn't matter. Okay, so if people have questions for Jim, please put them in the chat box. We're going to come to them in a few minutes. But I want to now chat with you about, you said you have some do's and don'ts. So what's your sort of Jim's philosophy that have, has helped you build the, your business practice this big? Okay, so one of my philosophies, it, it may sound a bit crude, but my biggest philosophy that I follow is, you know, I run my business to kick butt rather than kiss butt. Let me explain what that means. Um, that's not how you said so, it before we recorded. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It's like, you know, Don Cherry has a seven second delay. We won't do that with you though. <laughs> fair enough. So what, what, I'm, what I mean by that is, and I'll give you my example of what I, one of the, I don't do. I, I don't deal with realtors because my experience, and I, you know, it's only my experience is I find that when you deal with a realtor, you're getting into a relationship where you, you're coming at it from the weaker part of the relationship, right? Where they're kind of doing you a favor. You, you approach them with your hat in your hand and you kind of hope that they, they work with you and et cetera. And that's my experience. And I would rather deal with the people I deal with where I create value for them, for my contracts and my planners. They, there's tremendous value for them. And we're an equal partner rather than being someone that's, you know, hoping for something to fall on my plate. So I would kind of run my business under that philosophy where I want to get up in the morning and do a fantastic job and kick butt, right? Rather mm-hmm. than the latter. So that, that's, that's the big one for me. And then a whole bunch of things fall, fall off of that based on, how, based on that philosophy, right? So don't deal with realtors. Don't see clients face-to-face. We all have a know your client. I've got a know your lender philosophy, right? It's very important. Like I deal with probably four major lenders and a whole bunch of smaller ones. It's so crucial to know your lender, not only to save your time and the lender's time, but from a business perspective, if you know your lender and you know the products, you're now able to work around and work with those products to create incremental value down the road for your clients. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a whole bunch of things you can do around that, right? I mean, when it comes to holding rates for your clients, you know, the timing of when you should do that based on who the lender is and what the policy is, right? There's a whole bunch that goes around knowing your lender, which uh, we spent a lot of time learning and it's worked quite well. Right. Worked quite well. Like, I'll be giving you that. I rarely will send a, lend, uh, a deal to a lender where it's impossible to help your client again, right? Some lenders won't send a payout statement if they don't talk to the client. Well, you know, that's not good from our perspective. We want the opportunity to create more value for clients, you know, two years from now, five years from now, whatever it may be. So it's very important to work with lenders that help you facilitate that. Right. Okay. That's really good. You kick butt, don't kiss butt was the one. You don't meet with clients. So what do you say to someone who's like, no, no, no I want to meet you, Jim. Like I got this $80,000 mortgage and I really need to meet you because you need to hear about my, like the, you know, sure. my whole situation. What do you say to them? Well, it, it, you know, simply it's, it's look, we can meet and we will meet. However, let's talk up front now so we can, you know, to make sure we're a match. So I don't waste your time. So it makes sense. We'll have this conversation and we lead to the point where, hey, send me your doc, send me all the stuff. It looks like it'll work. We'll meet later on, right? Well, once we get the approval back, we send the approval, they forget they want to meet and they never want to meet. So the clients who want to meet, we try to move them off that. The ones that are adamant about it, we'll just tell them to go down the street and to our competition. Right. Say, it's, not a good, it's not a good fit. 
It just doesn't make sense. But for the most part, you know, we probably get about 15, 20 requests of the 800 deals who want to meet and we'll probably lose two of them. Right. I had a client we lost last week who didn't want to send over an 80, 80 page package for their new construction. Right. She wanted to come here and for a copy it. And I'm thinking, really? And you, so what did you say to them? No. I said, no, it, you know, it's just easy to scan it and send it to us. And, and she goes, well, I'll just deal with my, my branch. I said, fantastic. Right. You know, good luck to you and uh, all the best. So it's, it's, it's all, every decision I make, it's all around that deal. It's all around the right cost benefit else for that situation. Right. It's not that it's not that I don't want to meet people. I'm not to meet people. It's just that it's not a good use of time. Every person I meet is going to cost me four phone calls or five phone calls. Which could be another million dollar mortgage, right? And 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 that and that's one of my other don'ts, right? You know, never, you know, I get requests from lenders to go for lunch or dinner or this and that, and we don't go. I don't spend time with any BRM or BDM. If I need you, I'm gonna call you and get what I need. But to go and sit down for two hours for lunch or to go to, you know, I don't go to any of these events camp and whatnot is for me i don't get value out of them, right that's why i don't go i don't need to network I'm, you know if i need to learn something i'll just call one of the successful guys that i own the business and i'll learn quickly i just don't think it's a good use of my time so events lender golf tournaments and trips it, it just doesn't it doesn't flow well with how i try to run it i'm in by nine i'm out by three and you know in those six hours i gotta cram as much as i can Okay, that's the question I want to ask. What is your how many hours you work in a week? And are you working evenings and weekends? Do you take calls from clients at like you know eleven o'clock at night and Saturdays? What does that look like? Yeah. I used to, right? I you know when I up until about three or four years ago, I'd walk down the street or I'd walk into a Loblaws, and my thought was, okay, we're going to find two deals, right? <laughs> As I'm shopping, right? Everything was mortgages, 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 mortgages. Everything, everything was mortgages. I think every call. I stopped doing that, right? It, yeah, I, I, I found that it's, you know, will I lose some deals? Absolutely. But you know what? It, you need a balanced life, and that's more important. Like, I'm not as young as you are, right? So I've got to, at this point, be able to balance my life and, and live a good life rather than just work, work, work. Right. So, okay. So then you work, what your, what's your office hours? So I got my kids off of school. I get here at nine. I'll sit down with the guys and we'll chat about whatever. You know, whatever flavor the day is, or talk about some deals. So I'll finally sit down with my desk around 9:20-ish, and um, at that point, I just return phone calls, return emails, and that's my day. So I never have meetings. So my calendar, when you said, "Hey, can you meet this time?" I can meet, talk to you anytime you like, because I never have any meetings. Mm -hmm. right? My calendar is fully empty. So my whole day is around answer emails, answer phone calls. That's it. And return phone calls. And that, that's my day from nine to about three. And then I pick up my kids from school, get home, and maybe watch YNR with my wife for an hour. I don't know. And uh, YNR? Is that Young, young and Restless? Young and Restless. Wow. That, I, that's still yeah. on? I didn't even know. It's still on. Yeah, it's still on. Victor Newman's still on this show. Okay. But uh, that's my day, right? I'm, I'm done at three. I, I don't chase it anymore like I used to, right? I mean, I had to chase it to get to where I am. I just don't chase it anymore. Right. And so do you, weekends do you work? No. What about holidays? Like, what kind of holidays can you do you take on, on a yearly basis? About eight weeks a year, eight or nine weeks a year. Hence, why I don't go on these lender trips because I'm traveling enough. I'm working on my vacations, right? So we're sitting at the beach. My phone call, my phone rings, or an email comes in. You know, I'll answer it. You know, I'm, I'm working on vacation. That's the only downside. Yeah, I probably shouldn't. I could probably get one of the guys 
fill in, but they're busy enough, right? So although I do take lots of vacations, I'm actually working. Right, right. Okay, that's fair. I just wanted to know how, wait, how that process worked. And so, Justin, do we have any questions? Yeah, we got one from Bernard Immel. He wants to know, why did you leave the mutual fund business? I, I was the CFO. I had an excellent job making pretty good money. I was 37, I guess, at the time. I just, you know, I didn't want to be a guy who got walked out. Because let me tell you, at some point, everybody gets walked out, right? You can be the CEO of the company at some point. You've done your time and you get walked out. So I don't want to be 52 years old and get walked out of a, walked out of a job and then scramble and try and figure things out. I wanted to start my own business. And I, fi I figured if, even if I made less money doing this, I'd be happy, right? I have more control of my own destiny. I, I, I control my own time. And uh, that's why I did it. And it worked out perfectly well. I mean, it worked out great. Better than I ever expected. Right. That's really good. And so just let me know how many do you, how many questions we have in there, Justin? That was the only one. That right was the only now, one so. so far. Oh, wow. There's nobody. I cannot believe you. People are crazy. We have Jim Terlucas on and you're like, what are you doing? Maybe talking to clients, but you should be asking questions. And so one of the questions that I want to ask you about in terms of your process, I don't know. I, I really appreciate so far the stuff that you shared with us and just how you're, what it seems to me that like, is that, and I say this to clients all the time or to other, to mortgage brokers is like, you have to be the professional. You're the doctor. You're not the waitress taking the orders you've got to. And so it seems to me that you very much run a business that's, you're the professional, you're the advisor, but you're not going to have the client run you around and, and basically, you know, then leave at the last minute. Absolutely. And you know, I put that up front, right? I mean, I give the example, when you go to your doctor, your doctor kind of controls that meeting. You listen to what your doctor says. I'm your mortgage doctor, you know, your finance doctor. You got, you got to listen to what I got to say. And, and for the most part, it works. Oftentimes, people go on a tangent and talk about things that don't matter. And you give them the courtesy and you listen to it. But at some point, you got to cut it off, right? Mm -hmm. uh, more so, once someone's a real client, when someone's, like I said, a, a seven-minute prospect, no, at that point, you know, I we get on a phone call and say, look, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Just answer my questions directly. And I'll quickly tell you how I can provide you tremendous value. And so you got to kind of put it out there up front. Some people get offended and say, you know, you know who you think you are, whatever. It's fine, right? But I really got to, I really got to control the process. Otherwise, you get, you get lost. And, and were you always this way or is this something that you've developed? Because... Because yeah, obviously it's a necessity. Thirty leads a day. You got to be more efficient. But were you always this way, or like what did that look like? Yeah. Yes, I, I am. I'm your typical A type type of you know A type kind of guy that in all aspects of my life I am kind of that way. It's all about efficiency. Good. Drives my wife nuts. You know, we go through a drive through at at, at uh, Tim Hortons. You know, I got to know up front before we get to that window. I got to know kids. What do you have? You know, rhyme it off. So when we get there, you know, we can actually have it set to go, have the money ready and, you know, be efficient. But yeah, it's, it's my nature, right? To be as efficient as possible. It's, it's worked well. Right. So cool. That's awesome. Have you ever done a disc profile before? You mean like the Myers-Briggs? Yeah. Or have you done one of those? Yeah. What's your, what's your personality yeah. type? ENTJ. ENTJ. Uh, so I guess, uh, what is that? Extrovert, intuitive thinking and the last judging <laughs> judging yes. yeah thank you <laughs> no i did I, i'd never even noticed that, actually <laughs> that's awesome okay well hey if we got no more questions justin then no no we the floodgates opened up after uh, oh, you, you, okay you great last one so great. friend of the show joel olson check out his episode last week it was amazing i heard you have a great process around appraisals can you talk about that uh what you do for that oh let me think what's my pro uh not sure more than anything anybody else would do. Typically, 
we order the appraisal through Solidify or NAS. And I think maybe he's referring to the fact that you get the credit cards up front, maybe because you talked about that already. So like, because not everybody does that. Sometimes they're like, one of the things I've found, if the client is expected to pay, they get sent the link, it goes to spam. There's a whole bunch of like time wasted in them trying to figure out how to pay for the appraisal. Whereas if you have the credit card, your team can be like, done, we, we can yeah, order it. We, yeah, we don't, we don't do the link thing. You're right, it goes to spam, people mess it up. We take control of that, right? So credit card up front. Even with clients that we're gonna re- pay for the appraisal, uh, we get it up front. It, it's to hook to the client, right? It's, it's like, hey, if your deal closes, you get reimbursed. If it doesn't close, you walk at your cost, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's really the only process. You know, we, we do, in terms of process, we do order their appraisal up front. One of the things that we do is, if I get a deal on Monday and the client's got to wait financing by Friday, for example, that's one of the first things that we do when we get the document back and we know the deal works. We order the appraisal immediately and we put a rush on it. And, you know, our typical process, you know, um, client comes in on Monday, we've got file complete by Tuesday, X appraisal. It fits well into the process. The appraisal can slow us down, you know, get us to Wednesday, whatever the case may be. But uh, yeah, we, we fill we fill it in into our process to get them in, get it done, get it out by Friday, right? So once client comes in on Monday, they're done on Friday. You know, the next call would be from John or Jerry. They say, hey, go to your lawyer's office and sign the paperwork. Or whatever. Right. Okay. Cool. What's the next question, Justin? All right. We got Sean Sean Smith. Uh, if you don't work with realtors, where does the bulk of your business come from, other than your database? 65% of my clients are past clients, 65 to 70%. Past clients will referral from past clients, so a brother of a client, whatever. The other 25 or 35% come from the corporate contracts that I've got lined up. So I've got a number of institutions that I'm in bed with that send me business on a daily basis. Right. So eight to 10 of them, eight of them are pretty, pretty good. They're, yeah, so eight, eight or so that uh, send us a tremendous amount of business. Okay, great. Hit us again, Justin. All right. Uh, Ava Newfield asks, do you use a lead gen, uh, a lead generation system or just your database? So I guess to me that sounds like one of the, uh, the rate sites, I think what you're asking, right? Um, I won't name them on the air here, but there's three or four rate sites that are here in Canada. We used to use them. So I'm going back four or five years ago. Uh, we used to be on the rate site. And back then it, it worked for us. It worked in that we didn't have to buy a race down that much and it worked quite well. And what I found over the last few years is it's gotten so much more competitive to the point where, you know, the guys that are working on their races typically work for 35 to 40 basis points is what they work for after the buy down. And when you do the math on that, you know, we used to do it. We'd get five leads and we close one of those, right? Because the nature of those clients is, Hey, I'm going to call Jim. I'm going to call, Joe, I'm going to call five different guys and I'll send myself with the five different guys and one of them will stick. So you're going to close one in five of them. When you look at the cost to generate those leads, we weren't making much money. We were making a bit of money. Originally, we were, we were making, you know, 80, 90 basis points. We bought it down five or 10 basis points. But today, to compete in that world, you're buying it down 10 or 15 basis points. You're, you're starting off at best 50 basis points at best. Uh, and then when you factor in your cost, I mean, remember, you're, you're working on five deals to close one. There's a cost factor there, right? Yeah, and, and I think five to one is a, a high closing ratio for that type of work. I mean, it could be even lower, right? Um, it's, yeah. it's, and even so, today, so yeah. So, so the answer is no, we don't, we, don't, we don't use lead generation anymore. I mean, it just doesn't, doesn't make economic sense for us. 
And I think what you're highlighting, though, is that how you've evolved your business. I mean, obviously, you got were able to secure some of these corporate contracts to start, which kind of gave you, you know, that that base to build with. You've tried some things, but as a, being successful in this business, what worked 14 years ago is has to change. Like, you, it doesn't, you know, you have to adjust to the times. And so, um, I think really that's a key thing. That and, and is there any other areas that you've had to make some, some adjustments in the last few years? Um, well, that, that well, one of the areas, if I go back 10 years ago, it was extremely easy to be successful in this business. 10 years ago, when when a client called you and said, hey, TD offered me 5.5%, we were typically, the industry was, about 40 to 50 basis points below the banks. So anybody and their uncle could be successful in this business 10 years ago. Today, not so much, right? We all know that, you know, we get beat all the time by the banks on the rate. So, so the way I've adjusted my business to succeed is, you got to kind of get in front and kind of create value for the client or there's no reason for them to come with you, right? So it goes back to some of the campaigns I talked about, right, in my database. So I'll call clients who there's a spread in the, in the, in, in the in their rate where more than makes up their penalty. There's, you know, there's value in holding someone's, you know, I went and did, you know, a number of rate holds a couple of days ago. Um, for, I got clients who were coming due, for example, 10 months from now. So I went in and did a four-month rate hold for all those clients. Right? You probably think, well, 10 months, what's the point? The point is, I know rates are probably will continue to go up. They went up yesterday, uh, today with one of our lenders. I'm now holding a rate for a bunch of clients at, call it, you know, 339, where today that lender's at 369. In two months, they may be at 389. Well, I'm going to go back to that client and say, hey, look, I got a rate hold for you that's expiring in a month. I'm at 339. Mark is at 389. You're going to save. 200 basis points over the next five years, it'll cost you 60 bits to get out early. It's a done deal. Right. So, so you're like, you always find the, the, the opportunity in the, and so when you're in that initial conversation, because you're about finding value for your clients, do you hint at that and say, Hey, one of the things that we're really good at is we, we're, you're not just our client now, but if we find opportunities over the next three to five years, we're always going to be in touch with you to make sure that we make those adjustments. Is that something you typically would mention or, we don't, but we will as of now. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, because I think, like, seriously, people will be like, oh, my gosh. And you even if you've dropped one example, you because I'm just thinking if you're on the phone with a client and say, you know, for instance, we have a client, there's a, like you just said to me, they'd be like, okay, so you're going to save me money, not, like, done here, you know, take my money kind of thing. Um, but um, anyway, so I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad I could help you with some things. <laughs> okay, what other questions we got, Justin? Because we got to be done in, like, uh, 10 minutes or max. Okay, so uh, we'll keep it up to the last two that came in. Sean Smith has had a follow-up question to the uh the institutions you partner with uh what's in it for them uh, i assume you're not giving them kickbacks it, no it's, a, it's, it's money's in it for them right so it's not a kickback it's a contractual obligation where where they send us a lead and we pay them a referral fee for every every lead that closes kickback's a hard word right i mean we completely disclose up front to the client as fiscal requires that who we're paying and what we're paying as a referral fee Right. And yeah, kickback assumes or, or in, implies something on the side that someone else doesn't know about. And we, we, your case is a contract. So it's just a, it's a contractual thing. Right. Okay. What's the other question? All right. We'll leave this one. Probably be the last one. But all right, Emil, would you ever have a team on your side to capture your clients' mutual funds now? No, there's limited time in the day for me and to, to focus on other, other revenue sources I don't think it makes sense for me. And, you know, we don't do insurance either, right? So we offer the MPP and for clients who don't take it, you know, we don't go and push it. We don't push other insurance products, et cetera. We focus on what I think we're good at. 
we don't we don't push other products. Now, having said that, you know, I wouldn't be in business too long if if you know if a financial planner sends me a, a deal and I take take that client and I push off his mutual fund business to another advisor. Right, because some of your contracts are with financial advisors, so you you Correct. have to be mindful Correct. of like, oh, why don't I talk to my guy? That's like, yeah, that's not good. Right. Well, not only that, some of my other contracts too specify, Jim, you're only selling mortgages. That's it. Don't even think about selling house insurance or anything else because they got that covered, right? You're just the mortgage guy. Don't even think about selling anything else. So I can't, even if I wanted to. 